Well, good morning, Calvary Satterton, and good morning to all of you folks in Quakertown. It's good to have you with us this morning. We're certainly honored that you're here, and we believe that this will be an hour well worth your time and effort. We're in a series that we're calling Continuing What Jesus Started, and a few weeks ago we gave out one of those white little bumper stickers to help us uh, remind ourselves about the series. How many of you have received one of those bumper stickers, by the way? All right, most of you. We still have some left. So if you haven't received one, you can pick one up on the way out. Have you noticed any other cool, interesting, weird, white bumper stickers around as you travel this past week? Uh, It's interesting what some people will put on their cars, by the way. Uh, Here's a little bit of a collection that we've seen. Uh, So here's one. At work isn't just for sleeping anymore. Uh, Some of you uh, need that on your car. Uh, How about this one? A blonde moment is loading. Please wait. Uh, Sorry about that. In the middle there you see, yes, I can drive a stick. Are you following Jesus this closely? Uh, Yeah, are you so close you can read it? You've seen those? Uh, But obviously my favorite is that cats don't know sit. That's good, right? That's good. Well, we're not trying to promote those ideas. Our bumper sticker says CWJS, continuing what Jesus started. And that bumper sticker reminds us that our mission in life is not to accumulate as much stuff as we possibly can. Maximum pleasure is not our mission. Developing a killer resume, that's not not why we're here. Also, trying to maintain or develop as much physical beauty as you can, that's not our mission. Our mission is to continue what Jesus started. He started this kingdom in in motion. He started the themes being lived out. And he calls us to then continue what he got going. And we're looking at the book of 2 Timothy to help us do that. Because this book of 2 Timothy is all about continuing what Jesus started. And so a couple of weeks ago we looked at Jesus starting that ball rolling by giving to Paul that basic gospel message on the road to Damascus. Paul then takes that message and gives it to Timothy on that first missionary journey. He then asks Timothy to come with him on the second journey all the way through the end of his life. But he tells Timothy, now Timothy, you have the responsibility to run well, but to pass that gospel baton onto other people as well. So Paul, continuing what Jesus started, encouraging Timothy to continue what Jesus started, and we are somewhere down that line from Jesus to Paul to Timothy to you and to me. And the same message is true for us. Run well and pass the gospel baton to those who will come after us. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, a few themes from chapter 1 and the first verse of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn to First Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. You can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you want to use your phone, you can go to Bible. check that out. You can go to your tablet, go somewhere else and follow along. And again, I would encourage you as the weeks go by, uh, you can read 2 Timothy each week, four chapters. You can even miss a couple days. And so you can read the four chapters and kind of know what's coming, know how the book or how the letter is put together. And that would help you understand the themes that we're kind of cherry picking and trying to lift out to help us know how we can continue what Jesus started. So beginning in verse 6. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, 
love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but, is, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. When you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound doctrine with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at gifts, guts, and grace. I figure we get three short words, maybe you'll remember it. Gifts, guts, and grace. We've teased out some of the other themes from chapter one, and we're going to leave chapter one today. But you basically understand what the book is about if you understand the three G's. Gifts, guts, and grace. So let's take a few minutes. Timothy is a kind of like a player, and Paul is like the coach. So that raises a couple of questions. What do coaches do? Well, coaches scream and yell at the refs. That's what they do. Uh, well, they, they do other things too. In fact, in my opinion, if, uh, if the gospel writers were writing today, they would probably use the coach picture rather than the shepherd picture to describe who Jesus is and what he does. You see, shepherds were real familiar back in Jesus' day, but shepherds aren't that familiar for us. But if you think about it, what coaches do covers the same ground, the same territory that shepherds do. So, for example, coaches recruit, coaches instruct and teach, coaches reprove and challenge and correct, coaches train and help when their players are injured, coaches put the plays together, coaches motivate, coaches cover the whole gamut of what mentors do, Kind of what shepherds do for sheep, that's what coaches do for their team members. And so Paul, in this letter, is kind of like Timothy's coach. And so he says, first of all, a word of commendation. And that's good advice for all you parents and all you coaches, right? He first of all says, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. Well done. He pats him on the back. That's verse 5. But Paul doesn't stay there long, right? Right after he says, Timothy, well done. He pats him on the back with a commendation. He quickly switches to correction and then says, oh, Timothy, but wait a minute, you've got a problem. So he pats him on, just like a good coach, right? Commendation and then lots of correction. So here's what he says right after that. But Timothy, fan into flame the gift that is in you. So commendation and correction immediately following. 
Timothy, you've got a sincere faith. You've admitted your errors. You've admitted that you're flawed. And you've experienced the acceptance of God. You've experienced what it means to be set into mission and put onto the playing field. But Timothy, you've got a problem. Timothy, you're way too timid. Timothy, you need to uh, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. You see, Timothy's timidity, Timothy's fear, has kind of caused him to shrink back. Rather than putting his gifts into play, he's shrinking back. He's walking off the field because of fear. Has that ever happened to you? Walking off the field because of fear? Afraid to speak up when maybe you should? Afraid to put your resources into play in a certain way? For fear of what the results, consequences, rejection, words may come in response? Yeah, well, that was Timothy's problem too. So right after the commendation comes words of correction. I was actually uh, feeding a chiminea last night. You know what a chiminea is? One of those things, you know, a little thing with the smokestack. And anyway, I, I, this morning I was thinking about the chiminea and what Paul wrote here because it's kind of the same thing. As you said, it was cold last night, right? Wind's blowing, it's cold. I thought it was winter again. I'm, I'm sitting very close to the chiminea because I'm getting old and I'm cold now and I have a blanket. I'm sitting next to the thing and uh, I'm feeding it. But, it, you know, wood burns quickly. Did you ever notice that? I mean, Doraflame logs are much better at burning. They burn two hours, right? This wood kept burning up quickly. And quickly the log would become just embers kind of in the bottom. And the flame would eventually almost die out. And then you'd go to the wood pile and throw more wood on it. And then the flames would erupt. Well, in the first century, they didn't have chimneys, all right? But they did have a fire pit right outside most of their residences. And that's where they would cook the dinner. So they would go outside, but... You know, back then it was kind of hard to start a fire. You know, they didn't have, you know, lighter fluid. They didn't have gasoline. They didn't have all those combustible things that we have. And, you know, you kind of throw it on. They didn't have propane. When they wanted to cook dinner, they didn't turn the nozzle and hit the button. Right? If when they were going to start a fire, they started a fire. And they didn't have lots of newspaper around either, right? So it was a big deal. So in their fire pit, they would keep the embers smoldering. So during the day, they would keep the embers. Then when it was time to cook dinner, they would go out and put some more wood or put some twigs onto the embers, and they would fan the embers so that the wood would catch, and eventually it would become a flame big enough to cook dinner. And what Paul's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, those gifts that God's given you, the gifts that God's given you to continue what Jesus started, Timothy, they're like smoldering embers in your life. Fear has caused the fire to die down. Timothy, you need to fan into flame those embers that are in you. And Timothy, it's not your mother's job. It's not your grandmother's job. It's not your friend's job. It's not your pastor's job. It's not your preacher's job or your teacher's job. Timothy, it's your job. So get off your butt. Put some kindling on the embers and fan it into flame to get the sucker going. That's what he's saying. And I wonder uh, how many of us need to hear that same message. You know, God has gone to a great lengths to give us gifts, give us resources, time, energy, and spiritual gifts to continue what Jesus has started. I wonder how many just have smoldering embers rather than a raging fire of giftedness that we're deploying to continue what Jesus started. I have the sneaking suspicion that what Paul says to Timothy, 
He could say to us this morning, right? God's given you some embers in your heart, but you need to fan it into flame. And it's not your pastor's job. It's not your small group leader's job. It's not your ABF teacher's job. It's not your wife's job. It's not your husband's job. not your parent's job. not your kid's job. It's your job. God's given you these things. Now fan them into flame. You know, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if Calvary Church would become a roaring fire, blazing as we all fan into flame the gifts that God's given us, not for our own glory and self-applause, but to continue what Jesus started. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Well, we each have a responsibility to make that happen. Fan into flame your giftedness, and as you do, other people will then catch that, and they may fan into flame their giftedness as well. Well, before we leave this topic, uh, I thought we should probably do a little instruction. So we did a little correction. Let's do a little instruction. So what's up with these spiritual gift things? So, you know, Paul says, now, Timothy, you receive these gifts. Now fan them into flame. Like, what's going on with that? Well, think of it this way. God gives each of us gifts to continue what Jesus started. Because whenever what Jesus started continues, ultimately it's God doing that. What Jesus started does not advance by human effort. It doesn't advance by you and me trying harder. It advances when God works through his people to accomplish what Jesus started. And so what God's going to accomplish, he's going to do, but he does it through his people. But we need to fan into flame what he's given us in order to have that accomplished. So what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are God's way of using us to continue what Jesus started. But then the big question. Well, how do you know, like, which gifts you have? How do you determine which gifts? All right, here it is. Service and practice. That's how you do it. There's no magic. Let me tell you how not to do it. You don't go online, find a spiritual gift inventory, get all alone by yourself, say your prayers, fill out the sheet at the end, say, oh, I've got these four gifts. I'm not saying that those things can't be helpful. I am saying that's not how you determine your spiritual gifts. Every time spiritual gifts are mentioned in the New Testament, they're always mentioned in the context of the body metaphor. So what's the picture? The body affirms the gifts you have. You don't pick and choose. God gives the gifts, but the body determines what gifts you have. Kind of works like this. How do you know the gifts you have? Three Fs. You'll be fulfilled when you exercise them. Feedback from the body will be that you have it. And there will be fruit that comes from the exercise of it. You'll be fulfilled. There will be feedback. And there will be fruit. That's how you determine. Now, we uh, trip up over this sometimes. And here's how we often trip up. Spiritual gifts are not determined or measured by the quality of the performance. So it's not, oh, this person did a wonderful job. They must have the gift. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Remember, it's fruitfulness. Spiritual gifts are determined by the quality of the result, not the quality of the performance. Now, don't get me wrong. Often the performance and the result are married together, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not. It's kind of like this. How do you know which gifts you have? You serve and you practice. Your spiritual gifts are never an excuse for you to not do something. So you may say, I don't have the gift of packing food. That doesn't mean you shouldn't show up on June 24th and pack food. Your gifts are never an excuse to not do something. 
you need to jump in the pool and get serving. And while you're swimming around service, you'll eventually find a part of the pool that just fits you perfectly. And when you're there, you will feel fulfilled. And the body will give you feedback. And there will be fruit that comes from that gift being exercised. That's how it works. Let me explain it this way. Uh, A number of years ago now, Kim read a book called Color Me Beautiful. You ever heard of this book? Um, she made me read it, too. You're thinking, well, Charles, I can tell right now that didn't work. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I love you, too. Well, let me tell you the basic theme of color. Here's what Color Me Beautiful is about. Color Me Beautiful says, all human beings um, fall into one of four seasonal colors. Like some of you are summers. Some of you are falls. Some of you are springs. And some of you godly folks like me are winters, right? Now, what that means is that kind of your complexion, your hair, all that stuff works together. And depending on your seasonal color, your complexion, that determines what colors you should wear, right? So if you're interested in knowing what kind of clothes to buy me, winters wear dark, bold colors, right? We don't wear washed out pastels that are for sissies. We don't wear earth tones for falls that are ugly. We wear bold colors that are winter. See how that works? So everybody has a seasonal color, and then when you wear the right clothes, you look better in those clothes, right? But here's an interesting thing. At the end of the book, there's this crazy quote. It says something like this. Even though you may never have read Color Me Beautiful, and even though you may know nothing about the seasonal palettes of color, basically if we would go to your closet, about 75% of your clothing would be correct. How the heck would 75% of your clothing be correct if you never read the stupid book? I'll tell you how. Because when you wear the right color clothing, people say, boy, you look good today. Wow, you've been working out? What's going on? When you wear the wrong color, they say, oh, I'm really sorry, can I pray for you? (laughs) You're really sick, huh? Well, what's the problem? So what happens? Based on that feedback, you're kind of fulfilled or not, and after a while, you wind up buying and wearing more of the color that other people are giving you positive feedback on, but since we're stupid and dense, we still wear some of the wrong colors, right? And so that's how it works. Now, spiritual gifts kind of work like that. As we're serving, diving around, swimming around, doing whatever God calls us to do, chipping in where we can, putting our time, our energy, our talents, our gifts to play, wherever we find opportunity to serve, eventually people are going to say, wow, That was really helpful to me. Boy, those people really benefited when you did that. You're getting feedback, right? And before you know it, you're beginning to understand how God wired you and how you should be functioning. Gifts are never an excuse to not serve, but once you kind of figure out how you're wired and gifted, you should be doing more of that kind of stuff. Make sense? All right, so here are a couple questions. But Charles, you don't understand. I'm really busy. All right, well, let let me uh, put an old Catholic guilt trip on you, all right? You've had some, some of you's had some of these before, right? How about, oh, so you're busy, busy. Are you too busy to eat? (laughs) I can tell not. Uh, Are you too busy to shower? I hope not. Are you too busy to look at Facebook and Twitter 500 times a day? We're all too busy, but the bottom line, we're never too busy to do what's most important for us. So friends, if we're serious about continuing what Jesus started, and Jesus has given us certain gifts, some abilities, through which we advance what he's doing, 
then we better be real careful about saying we're too busy because if you're too busy to discover how God built you and put those resources into play to continue what Jesus started, you're just too busy, period. And you better figure what needs to get cut out of your life because there's a final exam on that one. And maybe that's the second question. Like, so, so what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. And, uh, and if you want to feel even more guilty, read Matthew 25 this afternoon. And you'll discover a pretty weird parable in Matthew 25. Jesus tells the story. And here's what he says. There was a landowner who was going on a trip. And before he left, he took some treasures and gave them to his servants, his stewards. He said, okay, guys, here's the mission. Here's the assignment. Put my treasure to work. And when I come back, I'll see how you all did. He takes off. Two of the three stewards put it to work. One of them buries it in the ground. He's afraid he may lose it. There's fear again, right? Buries it in the ground. The master comes back and says, okay, let's see what happened with the investment I gave you. First two come in. Well done. You guys did a great job. You took the investment. You put it into play and you have more. That's a great deal. Third guy comes up and says, here's your investment. I was afraid I may lose it. So I took that investment. I buried it. Here's your investment. You know what Jesus says? You wicked servant. I gave you gifts. I gave you treasure and an assignment. You buried it in the ground, never did the assignment. So what do you want to hear? Well done or wicked servant? Ball's in your court. There it is. I didn't say it. Jesus, get ticked off. Tell Jesus. He said it, not me. What's the big deal? It is a big deal. Are you continuing what Jesus started? What Jesus started is only advanced with the power that he gives. Therefore, you better understand how he's wired you and put your resources together and do more of that. Well, that's the gifts part. How about the guts part? In a lot of the verses that I read, notice there was suffering showed up a lot. Um, in fact, here's uh, one of the verses. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, why would Paul have to tell Timothy, God didn't give you timidity as a gift. God gave you love and power and self-discipline so you can stand up against those fears and put those gifts, those abilities into play and get off the bench and get out of the bleachers onto the playing field. That's what he's, get in the game, he's saying, right? But fear will sideline us. Busyness will keep you on the bench. Paul says, fan into flame the gifts and get into the game. And don't let your fear keep you from the game. Don't let suffering or the fear of suffering cause you to not use your gifts inside and outside the community of faith. That's what he's saying. And interestingly, as you look at those gifts, some gifts are really to kind of build up the community on the inside. Other gifts are to extend and expand the community on the outside. Some gifts meet physical needs. Some gifts meet relational needs. Some gifts meet emotional needs. Some gifts meet spiritual needs. I mean, gifts are all across the spectrum. If the problem is alienation, alienation from God, from self, from others in the world, that's the result of sin, then spiritual gifts will be targeted to work against that alienation with God, self, others in the world. And so it's not only spiritual and connection with God that these gifts operate. 
They're gifts of giving and administration, gifts of help and mercy, gifts of prayer and faith, gifts of giving, all kinds of gifts, right? And the most important thing is not being able to put a label on your gift. The most important thing is hearing the feedback of the body, seeing where you're fruitful, and then experiencing fulfillment as you put those things into play. Now, lest you think, and it's kind of hard news, right? Lest you think that this suffering thing kind of only shows up with Paul and Timothy, right? Nero's the emperor now. So Nero's starting to beat on Christians. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, yeah, things are getting ugly here, Timothy. Um, I'm going to be executed soon. You know, come and see me before I go. Bring Mark, bring my coats, kind of cold. Bring the parchments, bring, you know, come. I'm not going to be here much longer, Timothy. Come and help. Nero's real. But it's not just a theme that Paul mentions here. I know I'm going way out on a limb here. How many of you remember last year about this time when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount? You remember that? You're all afraid I'm going to ask you a question, right? (laughs) No, but you remember we looked at the Sermon on the Mount? In the Sermon on the Mount, the same theme comes up. And here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, notice how he connects it and how we connected it, and I'm connecting it again. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, is it just coincidental that Jesus then says, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Oh, by the way, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of is that just coincidence? Like, is Jesus kind of ADD jumping over? The, no, no, no. If we live as salt and light, you will experience some hurt. That's how it goes. That's the script. And if you're not experiencing any hurt now, you soon will. You're either leaving a hurt, you're entering a hurt, or you're in the middle of a hurt. That's how it goes. If we live a salt and light, you will experience hurt. Isn't that exactly what Paul's saying to Timothy? Timothy, if you put your resources into play, you put your time and energy and gifts into play, you're being salt and light. But as you're being salt and light, make no mistake, people are going to push back. You're going to be hurt. Now, I said then, and I'm going to say now, make sure that the pushback and the hurt comes because of Jesus, not because you're a jerk, all right? Um, If you're just being persecuted because you're a jerk, it's your jerkdom that's causing the hurt. It's not Jesus. And there are lots of Christians going around in the world and living as, you know, super highly critical, judgmental types, looking down their snooty, pharisaical noses at everybody else, and they're being hurt. They deserve to be hurt. We experience hurt because of Jesus, because of grace, because of the gospel. And we even gave a little bit of a test. Here's what we said. You'll know if you're living as salt or light, or to use the 2 Timothy expression, you'll know you're living out power, love, and self-discipline as you exercise your gifts because some will be attracted. Some will be attracted. Jesus experienced that, right? He attracted the 12 apostles. He attracted lots of other disciples that ran around. And some will be pushed away. Some will be attracted Some will be dismayed and go the other way. Are you experiencing both some being attracted and some going the other way? Paul experienced that. In fact, all those funny names that I read in there, I read them on purpose, right? Phagellus, Hermogenes, they were two that were running the other way. When the going got tough, they took off. Onesiphorus stood to the fore and he was attracted. It always works the same way. So here's a little test for you. If people are only attracted to you, you're a compromising wimp. 
if people are only repulsed by you and you're only put down, it's because you're kind of living as a self-righteous, pompous jerk. If they're attracted and repulsed, you're probably being salt and light. That's how it works. That's not just a theme in 2 Timothy 1. That's a theme through the Bible. It's Old Testament with the prophets. It's New Testament with Jesus. It's New Testament with Paul and Timothy. And it's going to be true for you and me too. So we need gifts. God's given them. You need guts. Not fear like Phagellus and Hermogenes. But courage like Onesiphorus, Paul, and Paul encouraging Timothy to be courageous. Not screwing up courage in yourself, but trusting God, the gracious one, to give you what's needed to do everything he's asking you to do. Well, we have one more, and that's grace. And I did grace last because grace really is the center. Giftedness, your gifts are not on the fore, are not in the fore on the front burner. Having guts and being courageous isn't kind of the main thing. Grace is the center. Our gifts and our courage kind of orbit grace. Grace is the engine from which everything else functions. There are a lot of grace words in that first chapter. Uh, let me just mention a, a couple of them to you. You could pick out more this week when you read through 2 Timothy. Here's one. You were saved. You were rescued. You know what it means to be rescued? It means if somebody doesn't come and pull you out of the mess you're in, you're going down. You don't need to be rescued if you can swim your way out. The summer season's starting. The lifeguards are in training, I would expect. I mean, I was, I was thinking of this uh, this week. Can you imagine, I mean, most of the people that the lifeguards have to rescue at the shore, I'm guessing, disobeyed what they said, then they get in trouble, right? Imagine if the lifeguard said, you know what, you didn't listen to me, bye. <laughs> tell, tell me your next of kin, I'll notify them for you. I told you to swim within the poles, you didn't, Bye. They don't do that, though, right? Even though you're disobedient, even though somebody you know went where they weren't supposed to go, went further than they were supposed to go, did what they weren't supposed to go, their lifeguards still in the freezing water put off their thing and go in and rescue the guy. But the point is, you only need rescue if you can't get out by yourself. Yeah, rescue is a grace word. And Paul makes it very clear. Hey, Timothy, when you're wondering about whether you should exercise your gifts or kind of cower in fear, remember... You were going down, but you were rescued. Here's another one. You were loved, not because you're lovely, not because you deserve it, but because God just loved you. Most of you in this room, or many of you, have children. Most days, you love your children. So let me ask you a question. How long did it take you, upon meeting your child, to fall in love with your child? My suspicion is it happened pretty quickly, right? And the child really never did much. Like, child didn't come out and say, oh, I'm, mom, I'm, dad, I'm really glad I'm here. And you say, oh, I love you because you're so nice to me. Right? You don't love your kids because of what they give you. You love your kids in spite of what they give you, right? And as soon as you meet your child, here's the bottom line, as soon as you meet your child, your heart is now welded to their heart forever. It doesn't matter where they go, what they do, you are welded together. And they didn't do a darn thing to earn your love, deserve your love, Nothing. You just love them because they're your kids, right? That's the kind of love that we have in the gospel. It's not deserved. It's not earned. In fact, just like as your kids are growing up, let's be honest, they're more liabilities than assets to you, right? 
They really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be honest, right? Isn't that true? Well, spiritually speaking, we are much more liabilities to God than we are assets, but God loves us. That's a grace word. That's a grace word. The jealous and Hermogenes, they forgot about that grace engine. Fear caused the embers to burn out in their life, and they took off. Onesiphorus kept grace in the middle. Paul kept grace in the middle. And they did what they could to fan into flame those gifts and that courage as they focused on the grace that's in the gospel. Not what they bring, but what God brings, Jesus brings to them. So here would be a good assignment. How do we maintain our strength, our grip on grace and on the gospel? That's what Paul tells Timothy to do at the beginning of chapter 2. So here's a, if you want to memorize a verse from 2 Timothy, here's a good one. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Notice, Paul does not say, now Timothy, be strong in your title. Timothy, be strong because of your gifts. Timothy, be strong because of your knowledge. Timothy, be strong because I discipled you. Timothy, be strong because of how much you know. No. Timothy, be strong in the grace. And what's the grace? You don't deserve it, but Jesus gives it to you anyway. Be strong in that. Now, here's a little assignment for you. You can memorize that verse, and the next one's good, too. We'll talk about that next week. But here's an assignment that I would give to you that I give to myself all the time. If God is not only the author of Scripture, but he's the author of all of life and all of creation, then we should find echoes and illustrations of the principles we find written here in what we experience out here. Now, they're not going to be perfect, right? You're going to have to kind of work with them a little bit. But those echoes of the gospel, the remnants of grace, are going to be all over the place. And one of the best things we can do is as we're going through life to look for those echoes, look for those traces, and allow them to jog your memory to be strong in the grace. So here are a couple couple I've experienced. Um, you ever go to the gym? And usually when you get to the gym, um, there'll be one or two guys that look like they've lived at the gym for year after year after year, right? I mean, these guys are like yoke, right? I mean, they're, they're and they want everybody to know it. They wear those little tiny spaghetti strap shirts, right? So their, their bulging arms come out. And uh, maybe they walk over to the bench. They're going to do some bench presses, right? They walk over and grab a 45-pound plate. One hand, grab a 45-pound plate. And, and look at the, in the mirror and to make sure everybody's looking as they turn like this, right? <laughs> Slide that weight on. Get another 45. They load the bar with 45-pound plates, right? Then they get underneath, making sure everybody's looking. Ah, clap. Ah. Stretching right now. He should look for a spotter, but he doesn't because, you know, he's... He's all bulked up. He didn't, he's not smart, right? He's bulked up. Lays down on a bench. Ah. Have you ever had the It's actually humorous when it happens, right? Unless somebody dies, then it's not. But, but it's humorous for him. So the guy, uh, he's underneath all this enormous body. He gets it up a couple inches. Ah. Brings it down. Whew. And he can't get it up, right? Uh, have you ever had, I, I've had that a couple of times. He looks at me. I'm not picking up all that. We're not going to hernia, right? 
spot, spot, he's calling, right? He's not looking at me, he's calling some other big hulking guy to come over. And eventually the spotter comes over and helps him pick up. The, that's grace right there. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You and I have lifted a weight or attempted to lift a weight that we stand no shot of lifting. Jesus, the ultimate spotter, comes over and says, uh, you admit your weakness, I'll lift your weight for you. Doesn't take him much effort, by the way. Lifts the bar up, puts it back on the stand. See, that, that's gospel, right? Are, are you seeing traces like that when you're going through life? How about this one? Maybe, maybe it's not at the gym. Maybe it's driving with your husband. It's obvious to everybody but him he's lost, right? <laughs> the lady's voice on the GPS keeps saying, Make a U-turn at the next convenient place. Eventually, the UPS says, yo, moron, stop the car and turn around. You don't know where you're going. It doesn't say that. Um, the wife knows he's lost, right? But he doesn't think the wife knows, so he says things like this. I thought we'd just take this street here. I haven't been down this road for a while. Uh, it looks pretty nice down here, right? I, I think I know somebody who lives around here. Trying to eventually, eventually, he could be so lost, he's never going to find his way home. Eventually, he says, Honey, I don't know where I'm at. And she says, I've been following ways for the last 30 minutes. Make a right, make a right, we'll get back home. That's the gospel, right? It takes us a long time to admit we're lost. Jesus has been sitting there the whole time. He doesn't need ways. He knows where he is. He's been waiting for you and to me to admit we don't know where we're going. We're lost, but we're making great time. We've attempted to lift a weight that we can't lift. He's waiting for you to call for a spotter. That's the gospel. So Jesus says, keep grace in the middle. Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's keep grace in the middle. Let courage, guts, and giftedness orbit grace. And when we do, we'll put our gifts into play. We'll be courageous against whatever comes our way. We'll be continuing what Jesus started. And looking forward to today. And we hear, well done. He gives us all we need. Directions and the power to get there. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you not only show us the way, you take us by the hand, and Jesus walks us there. Help us to admit quickly we're weak, to admit quickly we're lost, to throw ourselves onto the mercy of the gospel, to watch Jesus lift the weight, show us the direction, and help us continue what he set into motion years ago. Thanks for the privilege of guts, gifts, and most of all, for grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.